We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nechami, founder of Carmela Cosmetics, a company that produces high-performance natural beauty products and is dedicated to uniting and empowering women through the power of color. This is We Are Women, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast came about as a way to give a voice to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women. I had such a great time speaking with Yaffa Palti and hearing her journey of how she became the motivational speaker and inspiring influencer she is today. Yaffa spoke about how growing up with 10 siblings and 8 foster siblings created empathy and impacted her growth and life. We also spoke about choosing what's right over what's easy, the difference between a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, and of course her views on Instagram boundaries and how to know what's appropriate to share and what's not. This episode contains so much valuable information and helpful ideas for growth and happiness, so I'm so excited for you to listen in, learn, and be inspired. You can find Yaffa on Instagram and Facebook at Yaffa Palti. That's Y-A-F-F-A-P-A-L-T-I. I come from a large family. I have, I have 10 biological brothers and sisters, and I have eight foster siblings as well. My parents took in um, kids from abusive homes, and um, we had many come through, through our doors throughout the years, but there were about eight who actually lived with us for years, you know? And... So I had a very interesting childhood. It was lots of noise. I, you know, I learned how to dance waiting in line for the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> that is hilarious. So, there was always something going on, always action, always noise. And the truth is, I love it. People often ask me, like, um, how do you feel ha- having grown up in a home like that? Like, do you, did it make you want to have, you know, just a small family? Because the opposite. You know, if it were up to me, I would also have a large family like that because I, I absolutely loved it. There's just, there was, okay, look, I'm an extrovert. So that helps. Maybe some of my siblings would re- respond differently. Uh, but the point is that it was really a very happening home. And I had a lot of responsibility in the house, but my mother was always careful not to overburden me at all or any of us, you know? So I, I felt privileged to help in the areas that I was able to help in, but I never ever felt like anything was my obligation or my responsibility or a burden on me at all. So I grew up, I don't know um, if this was nature or nurture, but I was a very energetic, adventurous child. And um, that was appreciated less when I got into high school, of course. <laughs> I don't know. Principal don't appreciate energetic, adventurous students. What can I tell you? Right. So that, yeah. So that that was hard throughout high school to really find myself in a way that, you know, I was always out of the box. I was naturally an out of the box person. I don't like cliches. I don't like typicality. Um, so I was always a little out of the box, and it's hard to find yourself when you're an out of the box person. You know. 
So, you know, obviously at such a young age. So that took me, oh, took a little while. Um, but yeah, that was basically kind of who I was growing up. Wow. Okay. So this foster sibling situation was, I was not expecting you to say this. I had no idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to go off on a little bit of a tangent over here. Okay. So first of all, that's amazing that your parents did that. That is so amazing. Yeah. How did that impact you growing up? The way that you responded to the world and to other people and, and, and actually also yourself, how did that impact your self-development? Okay, well, there's no question that it instilled in me a level of empathy, of course, um, a level of understanding that when you have a gift that somebody else can benefit from, then we have a responsibility to share that gift. Because I come from a home that was full of, of happiness and joy. And my, my parents had a beautiful marriage. There was harmony at home. And that was something that we couldn't take for granted. We had a, a, a beautiful house. My parents had a, a good income. We were, so, we were comfortable financially. There were other people who were struggling and they needed help. So I grew up learning that uh, just from my parents' actions, that just because you were given a gift doesn't mean that you get to use it just for yourself. You're given a gift so that you can share it with other people. It's not yours. It's yours to share. So I grew up with that, you know, in that environment. Um, and also it taught me, you know, to, to be a little bit more open to other people's struggles. That just because somebody can look a certain way on the outside, it doesn't mean that that's how they're feeling on the inside. There is an entire world going on inside each person that we know nothing about. Just by seeing their face on the outside, just by hearing them, by looking at them, even just by conversing with them. We have no idea what's going on inside of them. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what they're going through. So those are a lot of lessons that I learned and that I was able to take with me into adulthood, allowing me to be a more empathetic and understanding person. Wow. That's really powerful. I mean, it's incredible. I can't even imagine. First of all, you had 10 siblings and then, I mean, eight foster siblings. And also that must have been draining sometimes because if they're coming from abusive homes, you have to deal with the ramifications of that. Yeah. Um, and my mother actually was really good. She, anyone who needed therapy went to therapy. She sent them in. And I want, I want to reiterate that we weren't, if this wasn't even through an official foster system, my mother oh. took them in privately and independently. She didn't do this for the money. We got no money from the government. We got no money from anything. It was out of my parents' pocket. And they just wanted to be there for children in the community who needed a home. And my mother gave them if they needed any therapy, if they needed any surgery. There was one particular foster sister who, who needed some surgery. Um, it was just aesthetics. My mother wanted her to look as beautiful as possible. And there were, you know, a couple of areas um, in which she would have looked even more attractive. My mother wanted to help her with that, you know? So, so, you know, she really helped them, um, built them up. My mother married them off wow. and they're all doing, you know, really wonderfully today. That's so special. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Okay. So now it makes sense, Yafa, that you're an inspirational speaker and you, and singer, and you're just, that's who you are. Like we mentioned before, like if I had to sum up, what you do in, in one word, even your comedy, it's inspire. So let's talk about how you, yeah. my pleasure. So how, how did you get into that? Okay. So now it makes sense that like where it came from, right. It was instilled in you to be a giver and to inspire people. 
but how did you actually like do it? Like what happened? Well, I'll start from the beginning, yes. but I won't, I, I'll skip out on all the, the unnecessary details in this moment, but I'll leave this briefly. So I'll tell you the truth. I didn't, I didn't necessarily have big dreams when I was younger. I really didn't. Like I was the type who lived very much in the present and I still try to. Now I'm very, I, I live in the present. I try to enjoy things, enjoy the people I'm with, which makes me a really bad um, Instagram influencer, because I always forget to record all the things I'm doing. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, how you see everybody records their day and records their dinners with people. And I sit there and I'm just like enjoying myself. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh shoot, I should have to record everything. And then I whip my phone out and I'm like two seconds. And hi guys, here we are. You know? So, but I'm really, I'm a very, very present person. And I always was. So I was always just concerned with the here and now. Um, not that I didn't give the future any thought. Of course, I had dreams and aspirations and, and visions for the future, but not in a, in a way that took over my life or made a huge difference to me. I somehow was just like, what kind of day are we going to have today? Who am I going to, who am I going to make smile today? You know, how am I going to feel today? So that was kind of always how I lived my life. Um, my mother said I was like in La La Land. Like everything was just like, oh, today's a beautiful day, you know? <laughs> So, so I never had like huge dreams. I just knew um, what I enjoyed. I did enjoy being a giver. I knew that I enjoyed people. I was always a big people person. I always had a ton of friends. Um, I was just involved in like everything. Um, anyone who called and asked me to join this organization or that organization, it wasn't even a question. Of course, I'm there tomorrow, which again, is a little bit of a problem because I, I really developed a little bit of a time management issue as well with this is my nature also because I just take everything like I bite off so much more than I can chew you know because I just I so badly want to be there for people and want to be involved in everything that I can but the truth is hey we have 24 hours in a day and you know so that was a lesson I had to learn. So back then, I didn't have, again, these big aspirations of becoming a motivational speaker. I ended up being a teacher by default. My, my, what my main interest was when I was younger, this is going to come as a surprise, I really wanted to be a chiropractor. Really? <laughs> I, I know. I, I don't know why. I was fascinated by the fact that the back could heal everything in your body. Like, it just fascinated me, you know, that that one area can be responsible for so much. And I just wanted to be a chiropractor. But then I learned that to be a chiropractor, you have to go to med school. And I am so squeamish. <laughs> I was like, there's nothing to talk about, okay? So that was off the table. I went to study abroad after high school for a year in Israel. And I was going to come back and start going to college. And then I, I, and out of nowhere, I got a phone call from somebody from a school. I lived in Brooklyn, New York, and there was a school in the Bronx, which was about 45 minutes away. They were looking for a teacher. It was in a Jewish day school and they were looking for a teacher. And why did they call me? Because in high school, I was involved in um, a, a Sunday school for high school kids. They were pretty much my age or a couple of years younger. And I used to teach them on Sunday schools, again, only because I love people and it was an opportunity. So I took it and I loved it, but that was it. I never considered actually being a teacher or an educator, but then they called me because I guess they, I had a reputation from there and they said, we need a, we need a teacher. Would you like to, to come, you know, to our school? 
And I was excited because I didn't have a job. I was like, I need to make some money. So I accepted. And I would travel to the Bronx every day. And I loved it. The first year I taught third grade. I was there a whole day. I taught third grade in the morning, sixth grade in the afternoon. And it was a super fun experience. They even gave me a car. Nice. They gave me a Cadillac. I remember it was so, it was such a cool car back then. And um, it was just super fun. I had a great time. So, but, so, and that was it. I stayed teaching for a few years between sixth grade and third grade. Those are like my two grades. Um, and that was it. I got married. I married my husband who was originally from Mexico. This is a whole nother story. I, you know, I lived in Mexico for 11 years. Whoa. Yeah. That's like a whole story in itself. I learned Spanish. I'm fluent now. That's really cool. Um, I, yeah, it was super cool, but it was a lot, a whole journey getting there and, you know, and where I am today because of that. Uh, so we, I married my husband. We moved to Israel where he was studying to become a rabbi. Mm. He was getting his, his rabbinic, um, license. We lived in Israel and while I was, I was newly married, newly living in Israel. Those were huge adjustments. And it was very hard for me to leave my family. I had this, you know, big family that I left behind. I was the first one to get married, left everyone behind, um, left all the things I was doing. I was so busy. It was a very, very hard adjustment. Again, story for another time on another topic, but it was, it was very, very difficult living there. And I was also newly pregnant. So, um, you know, so I, I was having, I was struggling a little bit. My husband would leave in the morning and I was just sitting there. This was before um, social media. We had the internet, but it was like dial up. Right. You know, the, the, remember, it was like, I don't know if you remember, I don't remember. you were very young. <laughs> You don't remember, but you may have heard. Yes, for sure. In the olden days, we had dial-up and we would pay by the minute. So I, you couldn't waste time on the we like We just signed on to check the news for five minutes at night and that was it, you know? So I was very disconnected from everyone and everything. It was really, really difficult. And I was bored and I wasn't used to being bored. I was so busy and I had no friends, no family. So it really took a, a, a toll on my emotional health. Also, I started feeling very down and it was, it was difficult. And one day my husband said to me, he's like, you love teaching. Why don't you apply to the seminaries over here? You know, these uh, seminaries are institutions where uh, specifically girls come from, uh, from overseas, from America, from Europe, um, and they study in Israel for the year, but they all speak English. And it's that one year between high school and college. So he said, why don't you apply to teach in one of those seminaries? And I started laughing. I'm like, seriously, I'm 22 years old. These girls are 18 and 19. Who's going to listen to me? I didn't teach that age. Like it was the weirdest thing to me. He's like, but how would you know if you don't try? He said, if you go try, if they don't accept you, or if you don't like it, you just come back, come back home and sit back on the couch and do nothing. Again. I'm like, all right, sounds fair. Fair enough. So I, I called up the first school. Don't ask me why I called them. I think I had recently heard, heard their name. Um, I think I knew that there was a teacher going on maternity leave. I don't remember how I knew. So I decided to call them and see if they're looking for a substitute teacher. So I called and they said, sure, come down for a model lesson. And I went down and I was so nervous. I never taught this age before. I was really nervous. And, um, but I prepared, I spent so much time preparing and I get there and I gave over this lesson to a whole, a whole class full of girls, 18 and 19 year old girls. When I was done, the principal came over to me and I want you to know this changed my life. 
Okay. This was such an incredible, uh, powerful thing that this principal did to me. He looked at me and he said to me, are you a third grade teacher? And I said, well, yeah, I've been teaching third grade for quite a few years. That's kind of, you know, he said, the lesson was great and you're a wonderful teacher. I want you to come back tomorrow and give the same class to 18 year olds instead of to third graders. Wow. Could you imagine? He, it was so powerful to me. He could have easily have said, oh, well, she's, she's, she's a, a teacher of young kids. We don't have space for her over here. He saw me. He knew that I was a talented teacher. I just didn't have enough experience. Wow. You know, and he, and he, it was, I owe him everything. And I went back the next day and I, it really took me a moment to change my mindset and to kind of make the shifts that I had to make to give over this class to grown, you know, to young adults instead of to children. And I did, and I got the job on the spot and I stayed there for seven years. And that was the beginning of me. You know, I reached out to other seminaries. Also, I was teaching in many different places and I was able to really build myself up. That's when I started realizing that I loved teaching adults. It became my favorite age. Wow. That's so So, cool. I did not know this. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really, it was really amazing. And I I owe that to him and to my husband for really pushing me to do that. Because I, I didn't, I I don't know if I, if I didn't believe enough in myself or if it just, again, as I mentioned, I wasn't like a big visionary yet. I was just kind of like, whatever. I was, I was enjoying teaching third grade. I can't teach third grade in Israel. I don't speak Hebrew well enough, like whatever. So what do I do now? You know, as opposed to really being able to see yourself bigger than you are. Like I learned how to always see the most that I can do instead of the least that I can do, you know, and the most that I can be. So that was, yeah. So that was the beginning of me, of me teaching adults. Then when we moved to Mexico, which is a whole, I told you a whole other story. But we, we decided to leave Israel and move there after living in Israel for seven years, um, which was also a huge adjustment. Moving to Mexico, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. The culture was so different. I Again, I'm an extrovert. I had nobody to talk to. It was very, very, very difficult for me once again. Um, but I And I decided to try to teach classes to women, but... Most people didn't speak any English. Mm. Today, they speak more English than they did back then because now, because of social media, right. okay. people are much more worldly. But back then, right? Everyone lived in their own little box. They, did, they only spoke Spanish. They never even knew people from outside of Mexico, pretty much. Like, it was very closed. So it was a big struggle for me. And I really spent a lot of times having conversations with God. And I would say to him, God, listen up, all right? I want to serve you. I am here to serve you and I am here to make you proud and I'm here to do good work for your children, but I don't know how I'm living in in this country where I can't be myself. I lost my entire identity. I can't speak the language. I can't connect. And all the talents that I was given, I said to God, the talents that you gave me, what did you give me them for? If I can't use them here, if you know, all of my talents and strengths required the English language. I'm a teacher, I'm an educator. I am um, a writer, um, also a songwriter. Um, I was an actress as well. And I used all of these things in New York and in Israel. Um, I, I eventually, by the way, I, I didn't only teach in the seminaries, but I directed their school oh, plays and everything. Nice. So yes, I was really like, you know, using a big part of myself there. And I come to Mexico and and I, I, I always say I felt like a social butterfly who had her wings cut off. 
that's how I felt. Like suddenly I was a nobody and a no one and I couldn't move. And it was really, really difficult for me. And again, this was a, a process that I had to go through. And um, there were many pieces that I had to put together in order to pick myself back up again and to realize that this was a challenge. This was a test. You know, God was testing me to see, you know, it's almost like I felt like at some point, and it was, this was after a few years of me really struggling there. Um, I, you know, I, I almost felt like it was God telling me, okay, Yaka, you know, I see how you served me when you were in your comfort zone, when you lived in New York and you were surrounded by love and support, when you lived in Israel and after you adjusted um, and you were finally, you were popular again and you were doing great and you were again in your comfort zone and speaking your language and people who adored you. I saw how you served me then. Now I want to see how you serve me when I take all of that away from you. Let me see, you know, how you can challenge yourself to be even more. And as soon as I realized that, that's when I stood up and I said, really, God, game on, <laughs> you know, I'm here for it. And that's when I was able to kind of pull myself together and really, you know, give all I can give. But there was one thing that was still missing. I still kept saying, like, I, I don't have enough people to receive everything that I have to give, again, because of the cultural and language barriers. So again, I had this conversation with God. I'm like, okay, God, I'm here. I accept the life you've given me and I accept my position here in Mexico. And by the way, the reason we moved there, I just want to explain, we moved there because we knew it was the right decision. My husband became a rabbi and he's from a community there where they're disconnected from their Jewish traditions and cultures and customs. And they needed somebody who can come and teach them and, and bring them closer to their heritage. So we made that decision because it was the right decision, not because it was the easy decision. Wow. So that's right. So that's how we ended up in Mexico, which again has been the theme of my life. It's even the reason I married my husband. We don't have time for the whole story now, but before I married him, I knew that my life was going to change drastically by marrying him. And I was going to have to say goodbye to so many things of my past and start again with a person who comes from a different culture than me and, and so many differences in so many ways. But that was the first of many a series of where I had to choose what was right over what was easy. And that was, you know, so that became kind of a theme in my life. But again, I was left in this place where I'm living in Mexico because it's the right thing to do. And, and my husband can do really good work over there. But where does it leave me? I was left with so many, um, really a, like a struggling educator because there was, I couldn't, I couldn't find people to receive what I had to give. So again, I had a conversation with God and I was like, God, just help me out here. Show me the arrows. Show me the signs. What am I supposed to be doing with these talents that you give me? I finally recognize I'm supposed to be an educator and inspire people through um, the, the words of our traditions and, and, you know, and just show me how. Where am I supposed to be using it? And that's when I discovered Facebook. <laughs> I didn't know about Facebook because I lived out. I was such a social outcast. I didn't know anything that existed. <laughs> and so... I, I went on Facebook and all of a sudden I was able to connect with my former students and with my family. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was like the most emotional moment for me. But then I realized this is a way for me to also uh, share beyond the limits of the city that I live in. So I started um, sending out just small little inspirational videos. And it was nice because people commented and I saw, oh, wow, I'm impacting people. This, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So it was nice. It was very part-time. But I did, you know, experience some level of satisfaction and fulfillment from doing that. 
And then one day I get a phone call from someone who lived in Northern California. And she said to me, uh, yeah, I've been following you on Facebook and I see that you're a motivational speaker. We're making a women's event. Would you like to come be our keynote? I love how you speak. I was like, me, what? I, I think you have the wrong number. Like that, those were like the thoughts of my, I'm not a motivational speaker. Again, I wasn't, I didn't have these huge visions for myself. Like I was just, I would have been content having a nice little class where people would come to hear me talk, you know, right. I, this was like the next level. And I was like, what? And it was very surprising. And I had, I'm on the phone with her and, if, and I told you, I wanted to say you have the wrong number. <laughs> But I stopped myself and had all these like crazy thoughts going through my head at the moment. I was like, me? What? I'm picturing myself standing up on stage in front of hundreds of people. And I pictured all the nerves and the fears that came with it. And I was like, but what if, first of all, what if I don't remember what I'm saying? Like, this is the the serious thing. You have to speak by heart when you're on stage over there. What if I don't remember the words? What if, what if I don't like what I'm saying? Like, what if I'm boring? What if I get bored? Forget about me boring my audience. What if I get bored, you know? And I was like, what if I need the bathroom? What if I sneeze? What if I burp? I was like every single scenario that could have possibly gone wrong. And it was so frightening. And finally I realized, I was like, you have to stop it. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Maybe this is where God is sending you next. These are the arrows you were asking for. And I heard myself say, sure, I'll be happy to do it. And that was it. That was my first time speaking in public as opposed to just in a classroom, you know, with people that I know, people who I have a relationship with, you know. And um, and it took me so long to prepare that first talk. And I wrote down word for word. I wrote down joke about men with you know what I mean like <laughs> it was crazy but I you know that that's what I had to do I didn't know what, what else and I got up there and I was so nervous I was shaking the entire time before I started speaking and then the craziest thing happened I got up on stage I looked around at the audience and I just started talking. I didn't look at my notes once I don't think I remember to say the joke about the man books because a whole different thought process came into my head and a whole different lecture. And I was just, I felt at home. I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was so thankful to God for showing me that, that this is who I'm meant to be. And the crazy thing was after that, I went home and I was like, I was at a high, but I was like, but now what? Like, now what do I do? Like, I know that that's where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not, I don't like self-promotion. I'm not the type who's going to start sending out videos to every organization around the U.S. and say, guys, want to hire me? Like, I do that. So I was like, now what? And again, I turned to God and I'm like, God, thank you. Thank you for guiding me this whole way. I'm ready for the next step. <laughs> you just, you just send me to where I have to be. And it was unbelievable. I, the phone calls kept coming. It was just word of mouth. People kept calling and saying, I heard of you from this person, from that person. Can you come to our community? Can you? And before I knew it, that's, that's what I was doing. I was just traveling around the world, speaking, connecting, inspiring, and being inspired. Wow. And that's where I am today. That's, that's amazing. You know, it's so, it, it's really incredible how when we just let things flow, when we follow our heart, like what we want to do, things really open up and happen for us. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think that these days, everyone, everything is so planned out. Like, okay, let's look at the goal. I want to be a motivational speaker. So what am I going to do to get there? And everyone does all these steps, but sometimes we don't open up and let ourselves just let things happen and call, and, and, and happen to us and then just flow with it. It's so interesting because what you're saying is your story is you really just wanted to go on Facebook. So you started posting videos and then someone reached out to you and then it just happens. Like it just, it really just happens. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing lesson. You know, we can't try so hard to be what we think we're supposed to be. I think we need to just do what we need to do using the strengths that we were given. Every one of us, we have to, it starts with self-awareness, you know, and for me, it started with recognizing that I'm a good connector. I'm a people person and I have knowledge to share with people, you know? So that's where it started with me. And, um, and I think if we just kind of do that slowly, slowly, without trying to force ourselves on others, without trying to be someone that we're not, we just have to let it happen and let the universe take over. Let God just, you know, kind of direct you to where you're supposed to be. Absolutely. Wow. That's an incredible story. I had no idea that's how you got into public speaking. Yep. That's all it was. And it, and also, it just started about five years ago. Like it's Really? New. And then I joined... Yeah. And then I joined Instagram because it wasn't more than five years, maybe six years ago. Like, yeah, it was about six years ago. Um, and then I got, and then, and then people kept telling me, people who knew me from Facebook kept telling me, yeah, you have to join Instagram. You have to join Instagram. That's where all the young people are. That's where your crowd is. You have to do. And I was very nervous because I finally got the hang of Facebook. You know, I started die. I was the administrator of all these different groups. And I was like, really, you know, the Facebook face. And, um, and then, and I was like nervous about Instagram. I didn't even understand Instagram. I'm like, I don't understand. What do you post on Instagram? Like, what's the difference? It was so confusing to me, but finally I felt enough pressure from enough people who wanted me to be on Instagram. I decided, all right, what the heck I'm going to join. So, um, it was only three and a half years ago in the summer of 2017, is when I decided to join Instagram and that changed my world completely again, because I was a, I was introduced to so many more people. And even though I don't monetize at all from Instagram, I was able to meet people who wanted to bring me into their cities and who wanted to have workshops with me and lectures. And that morphed into me doing online courses where I can reach even more people. So it was really a great uh, segue into, you know, building myself up to be even more. And I was able to create such wonderful connections, real friendships, real relationships through Instagram. And that's really, that's all I want to do. I just want to be able to be that person that I could connect, I could educate, I could inspire. Um, and that's what, that's what I do. Wow. Yeah. So I love how you said, because I think that a lot of what you, you've been like talking about has to do with mindset stuff. And yes. I would love to hear from you some ideas, like tangible ideas to help girls and women, because now you really, you, you help such a variety of different women, uh, girls really, gr- from girl, young girls to actual, I guess, middle age. I don't know how old your oldest like <laughs> um, niche is, but you, you help all ages really, right? And you inspire all ages and you have this ability to connect with everyone. So what's some, with, with, with all the types of people, all different ages, stages. So what, I guess I have a few questions now that I'm saying this out loud. It's first of all, how would you suggest that women change their mindset? Because you change your mindset to, to 
to accomplish like all these things and where you are today. And then mm-hmm. also like, what's your secret to connecting with all different ages? And cause it has to do with empathy, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'll get to the first question okay. first, because that's what wise, sophisticated people do. <laughs> so we're going to go to the first question. Um, so you said, how, how can people work on their mindset? Yeah. All right. It's, it's interesting that you picked up on that because a lot of what I do, by the way, in some of the courses I give is I do mindset coaching. Nice. And you didn't know that. About me. So, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, to be honest with you, I think mindset is everything, everything. And I know that it's not very popular to say that today because today people like to be victims. It's very popular to be a victim today. It is very validating. Uh, People get so much attention for being a victim. And people don't like to take responsibility for their actions, for their thoughts, for their feelings, for their lives. We like to just be victims of our life because we do get attention for it. But it's a very short-term type of uh, gratification as opposed to long-term pleasure when we own our lives and when we control our lives instead of letting our lives control us. And long-term, people don't support victims long-term. They support them short-term, all right? People get tired of a victim very quickly and it's negative and they drag people down. They suck them into their world of darkness and it, it gets tiring very quickly. But it's super trendy today. The more of a victim you are, the more of a hero you are, right? Victimhood is celebrated. And that is something that we need to stop. We need to break free of that. We need to learn to take responsibility for our lives. That is the only way we could have true pleasure and satisfaction and success in life. When we own up and say, okay, this is how I'm feeling, but I'm not going to let my feeling control me, right? This is what's been done to me. This is what someone, how someone treated me. But I'm not going to let that control my life. I'm not going to let that determine how I feel about myself. We've all had negative uh, influences in our lives. We've all had people we looked up to who should have supported us and should have loved us and didn't and treated us uh, without respect or didn't believe in us. We all had people who wanted to keep us small maybe because they were jealous, maybe because they were scared, maybe because they were ignorant. I don't know why, but we've all had that. And we could either take it and use it and be a 50-year-old orphan, still blaming our kindergarten teachers for why we are the way we are, still blaming our parents for why we are the way we are. No, no, no. You might not be responsible for what happened to you in your past, but you are 100% responsible for who you become in the future. And we need to, we need to have, the only way to have a mindset shift is to start off with that understanding, with the understanding that sitting and blaming and being a victim is not going to get us anywhere in life long-term. So that's where we need to start with that mindset shift. I will not be a victim. I will be responsible for my life. Okay. So that's number one. Once we do that, here's something I'm going to share with you, something very interesting that I discovered over the pandemic, because this year, I think there were so many eye-opening moments for so many people. Right. Also a lot of eye-closing moments. People slept more than they've ever done before. But (laughs) I chose to keep mine wide open because I feel like there were so many messages here for us. This is again, another great example where um, I know that I was subconsciously 
or maybe consciously on my end, but I was kind of fighting against another mindset that was being taught without other people knowing that I was actually kind of fighting against them. But um, there was a lot, a lot of influencers, a lot of um, therapists and coaches who, you know, a lot of people really jumped up this year, but he realized, you know, ah, the world needs us. Anyone who's in a, in a position of inspiration or mental health, this was their year to really right. shine, you know? So people were jumping up all over social media, um, giving people permission. And I use that word in quote, with, with quotes, because I'm not really sure what that word even means in this <laughs> sense, but giving people permission to feel as bad as they want to feel and as negative as they want to feel and as much of a victim as they want to be because it's hard. You're going through something hard. You want to stay in your pajamas all day and and just eat potato chips? Oh, do that. Just do it. Don't force yourself to be productive or positive. You can't handle that right now. These kind of this kind of mindset actually drives me crazy because it is so disempowering for people. Nobody feels good about just staying around in pajamas all day, every day and eating potato chips and watching, you know, Seinfeld reruns or just scrolling through Instagram or nobody feels good. Nobody does. You feel so disempowered. You know, how do you feel good about yourself? This is what's called activation energy. You're not in the mood of doing something. Well, get up and do it anyway. You activate the desire to do it when you make a conscious decision to get up and do it anyway. There is no greater feeling than that. When you take your life into your own hands, you own it and you say, yeah, I'm not in the mood. I'm really not in the mood. I'm really not in the mood, but I know it's the right thing to do. This goes back to my my life theme of choosing between what's easy and what's right, right? Choosing what's easy feels good in the moment, but it's not empowering. It's not empowering. It's empowering when you do what's right instead of just uh, subjecting yourself to what's easy, you know? So this, this is a very powerful mindset that I think we need to understand. Don't, don't sell yourself short. You want to be proud of yourself at the end of the week, at the end of the day. You want to be proud of yourself. You want to get up and say, this was hard for me, but I did it anyway. I didn't allow my feelings to control me or my thoughts to control me. I controlled them. Look how strong I am. Look how powerful I am. I love that. I, I love it. Yeah, it's true. So that's something that I've really been trying to help people understand over this year, how resilient they actually are. And resilience doesn't just mean standing up when you fall down. It doesn't mean bouncing up. It actually means bouncing forward, mm. right? But how, how far can I propel myself from this fall I've taken? So one thing that I, that I've really noticed when it comes to mindset, and I'm going to share that now with you, is that there are two different types of mindsets, basically. Okay. There is a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. People who, who live in a fixed mindset, that's the kind of person who thinks that they already know everything. There's nothing new you can teach me. I'm comfortable where I am. I'm comfortable with what I know. Uh, you know, this is me, <clears throat> take it or leave it. And this is the kind of person who usually is a little more anxious, usually has a negative attitude about life. Uh, this is the fixed mindset, okay? Not, there's nothing new that, that, that you can teach me right now. Then there's someone who's in a growth mindset, which is exactly the opposite. The growth mindset is, 
I know that there's still so much more that I can learn. So everything that happens, I'm going to take as a lesson for life. What can I learn from this? What's this trying to teach me? Who can I, wh- who, how much more can I be? You know, how much more can I grow? And, and obviously that person is usually happier and more successful. And an example of this would be, you know, you're dating somebody, you're dating someone and this is the person who you thought maybe you loved or potentially could love. And you felt a real close connection and you thought there was going to be a long-term relationship here, maybe leading to marriage. And, and you, you were very happy. And then he went and broke up with you for whatever reason. Okay, whether you saw it coming, you didn't see it coming, it's frustrating, it's sad, it's hard, it's difficult. Somebody in a fixed mindset, how would they respond to this? This is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. Woe is to me, horrible, awful. Maybe I'm never going to get married. Who's going to love me? Who's going to take it? I'm going to be single forever. I'm going to go out and buy a cat now. (laughs) This is is the worst thing in my life. And my life is over. It's miserable. Hashtag FML. Okay. This is a fixed mindset. Then we have a growth mindset. If this happens to somebody with a growth mindset, what's the response to this? This is hard. This is difficult. Maybe there's some crying that happens. That's okay. That's normal. That's fine. And then there's a shift. Then there's that voice inside their head that says, you know what? I thought he was the right person for me. I thought I was going to love him. I thought we were going to build a life together. But maybe the fact that he broke up with me is a sign that there's somebody out there that's better for me. And I never would have known that had I just allowed myself, have I just stayed with him. Now there's an opportunity for me to find somebody new, maybe even better for me right? Same thing with a job. People lost their jobs over this year and it is, it's, it's tragic and it's, it's terrible. The amount of people that are left without jobs, but there is a fixed mindset and there's a growth mindset. I lost my job. This is horrible. What am I going to do? I'm going to start. Maybe no one's going to hire me again. How can this be? This is the worst that ever happened to me. Um, I, I'm going to suck at everything I do and I'm going to, nobody's going to hire me. This is, you know, I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose everything. Um, this is a fixed mindset. Then we have a growth mindset. I lost my job. Yikes. That's scary. But you know what? Maybe there's something out there for me that I never would have tried had I not lost my job. Maybe there's a different career path. I was a little bit stifled in my job. I was a little bit mundane in my job. I wasn't really growing. Maybe now is an opportunity for me to use another part of myself to find a better job for myself. Right? So here's, so here's the interesting mindset shift. I realized that there are two words, two words that somebody in a somebody in a fixed mindset will spiral down on these two words, and somebody in a growth mindset will elevate on these two words. And you know what? They're the same two words. And those words are what if. And somebody to someone in a fixed mindset, what if becomes all the things that might go wrong. Someone in a growth mindset, what if becomes all the things that might go right? Isn't that incredible? So our job is, so it's not about the circumstances that happen to us in life. It's about the way we respond to those circumstances that create our quality of life for us. So we, all we have to do is make that shift. We have to make that shift from the what if being a what if of anxiety to a what if of possibility. That's all. 
And that's something that every one of us can take control of. So true. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny you said about activation energy. So it's interesting because we have something, I, I do image consulting. Basically, there's a something that we call, um, I forgot what it's called. But basically, it's that you pretty much act the opposite way because they, the, you, you do whatever it is that you want to become. So let's say like you're, you feel gross and disgusting, but you have to give a presentation. So you dress yourself up to give that presentation. doesn't matter. Or even forget about the presentation. You want to feel like a mensch. So you, instead of wearing pajamas and a sweatshirt, you just put on a nice fitted top with, you know, a skirt and, and heels, whatever. And then throughout the day, you end up just feeling more energized and productive. A thousand percent. You know, I work from home these days, as many people do. And every single day I make sure to get dressed. I put on some makeup. I put on clothing. Um, I, I, I work so differently when I'm dressed than when I'm not dressed. And this, by the way, what you mentioned is actually how manifestation works. Right. People mistakenly think that manifestation is some kind of magical concept that you just, you have to just, you know, sit there with your your fingers together, uh, you know, wishing upon a star, and then suddenly you have what you wanted. That's not how manifestation works. Manifestation is not passive, it's active. How do you manifest something into your life? By working towards receiving that thing. You know, you're gonna, you wanna be the CEO one day. That is your dream, you're gonna be the CEO. How do you manifest becoming a CEO? Well, you start behaving like a CEO. Well, I mean, don't start bossing everybody <laughs> around, you know, it's your turn. But you start, you take responsibilities onto yourself more than you have to, more than is necessary. You start uh, working professionally like a CEO. You dress like one, you behave like one, you feel like one. Honey, you're going to be a, CP, a CEO. That's how it works. You manifest by creating it for yourself, not just by wishing it for yourself. That's, that's how I love that you said that, by the way, because I think people make fun of manifesting all the time, but they don't understand what it is. You know, it's not passive. Exactly. It's active. It's not passive. It's active. We need to understand that. For sure. There's actually a passage in the Talmud, uh, which is in our, uh, which is in our Jewish tradition, uh, our, the oral Bible, um, that tells us, I'm, I'm going to say it in, in the exact words and then I'll translate it. Okay. You may have heard this, Nahami. Mishan, I'm, it's popular, you know, it's, it's well known, but I'm going to explain it with my own twist. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Mishanemakom, Mishanemazal. Okay. This is very well known. What it means, this was in Hebrew. What it means is, is that if you change your place, your location, uh, then you can change your luck, your manifestation, right? Uh, and this, you know, this is nice, but the truth is literally people do it sometimes. They move, people move to a new city, people change their jobs, people move to change their kids' schools, move to a new home just because they want to change their luck. And sometimes it works, but I want to take it to the next level. This is not only referring to making a physical change. Change your space. Change the place that you're in, in your mindset. Change yourself, change your place emotionally, change your place mentally, change your place spiritually. Have you grown? Are you still in the same spiritual place now that you were in five years ago? We should constantly be growing. Part of the reason people stay, people are in a rut sometimes in life is when everything is just redundant and repetitive again and again. Another birthday, 
another holiday comes back again and again, the circle of life again and again and again. Life is not a circle. If you live your life in a circle, you're going to get very bored. You're going to get depressed. You're going to stay in this in this rut, in this darkness. Because again, it's my birthday. What did I accomplish this year? Right? Life is not a circle. Life is a spiral. Yes, it comes around again. But every time it comes around, it's slightly elevated. Mm. Higher and higher and higher each time it comes around. Right? So did you change your place? Do you still... You know, are you in the same spiritual place? Has your relationship with God strengthened over the past year? Where are you emotionally? Do you still have the same reactions and the same pet peeves this year as you had five years ago? That should change by now, right? The same reactions. We, we should do the same thing, still make you angry. We should be in a higher place every year. Elevated. When you elevate yourself, when you become, when you grow more into your potential, that's what Mazal. That's when you can change your mazal. That's when you change your luck. That's when you manifest goodness. As you grow and grow and open up more fountains of blessing and open up all the things that are waiting for us at each stage in life. That's what it is. Every stage that we're at, there's new blessing waiting for us in that stage. And so we have to make those changes. And that's how we manifest goodness. Right. Wow. And then the second question that I asked you about connecting with all different types of people, all ages and stages, I feel like it has a lot to do with empathy. So I would love to hear from you more about that. Okay. So it is a good question. And I have given it thought in the past because as you said, I, 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 I really do have that um, wide range of people that I connect with. And just the other day, I checked my, I, I never checked it. I didn't. This is going to sound crazy. I'm really not that into like Instagram. I try my best to just give what I can give, but I'm a little bit like, I hate to say this. I post and ghost. <laughs> like I post something and then like, I really don't have a chance to get back to it yet. Sometimes I try to get back to it whenever possible, but I don't, I don't spend a lot of time. Instagram is very, very part-time for me. And I love the connections that I make. And I love the people uh, that I've met. Um, and I try my best to to um, communicate through DMs and whatever I can. But it's really, you know, a lot of influencers and the bigger people get on Instagram, they spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours a day on Instagram. And, you know, thank God I have a really busy life. And I, t I mentioned before that I, I love to be very present in everything I do. I have, a, I have five children and a husband and I'm a community leader. My husband's the rabbi of our community. I have a whole community that I'm in charge of. I have clients that I see. I have things that I build up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super busy. I, I, and as a community leader, I do a lot of small things that I don't really talk about. Like I'm, you know, bringing women, you know, to the mikvah for the first time I am, um, going to, you know, participate in things. I'm right now I'm busy helping a lot of my neighbors cash their homes for Pesach, you know, clean their homes for Passover. And like, um, I'm going to support a support rally for uh, against the GATT refuser now. Like there's a lot of things that I do that I'm very, very busy with. So I don't really spend a lot of time on Instagram. I just discovered this concept called insights. <laughs> you just discovered that? I know that. I just oh, discovered that's hilarious. Like, okay. <laughs> like, so, so I went to 
click on my insights. I was curious to see who, um, how many people follow me. Well, you can see on top, but you know, meaning like the uh, where they live, yes. and if they're male or female. It was just a whole different world. I was so excited. So I just noticed that I have ninety percent female, ten percent male, which I assumed around there. But I also noticed the ages of people that follow me. And first of all, I was really excited because. Um, the majority, the vast majority are between the ages of like 18 and 35, which is super cool because I love that age. Then the next were between the ages of 35 to 44. Also love that age. And then every single age, I had like a, a, a whole chunk of people starting from what's the youngest that goes under 18. There's under 18 as well. So I had a chunk of people under 18 and then I had all the way through 65 and I was just so happy. I was like, wow, you know, like whatever, whatever I do, whoever I am speaks to such a diverse range of people. So it made me feel very good. And I was thinking about it and I was wondering what is it necessarily? And I'll be very honest with you. I do think that a lot of it, you know, we spoke about empathy before, I think it's empathy, but it's more than that. I think that um, I really try to love people for who they are. I don't have expectations of people. I try not to judge um, negatively. And I really try to, to look for the good in people. And when you look for the good in people, that automatically you connect with them. This, by the way, is the definition of love. How do you define love? So the way I like to define it is when you focus on and define a person by their strengths and not by their weaknesses, right? Because naturally, we could always focus on a person's weaknesses. That's what comes to us most naturally. It does, right? And in a relationship. In any relationship, in, in a marriage, between parents and children, in coworkers, in, you know, boss to employee, whatever the relationship is, of course, in friendships, we can choose to define a person by the things they're doing wrong. You always this or you never that or just start getting really nervous from all their little, you know, the little nuances that bother us. Or we can choose to look at the things they're doing right. And we can say, wow, you're such a great husband, father, wife, mother, sister, coworker, employee, because look at the things you do, right? Look at what you do. Look at what a hard worker you are. Look how creative you are, whatever it is. Everybody has something positive to them. And I think that this is something that, that I've been working on for a long time, trying to define people by the things they're doing right. There's so much judgment out there. And look, I don't agree with what everyone does. I'm not, you know, I don't look at the world necessarily with rose colored glasses. I was going to, I actually was going to say before, when we started talking about a victim, I was going to say, when I said, it's not so popular to say this, but a lot of what I do is, and then I, I got, I interrupted myself, <laughs> but a lot of what I do is, um, I, I do have a positive perspective of life and a positive perspective of people. And that's also not so popular today. I don't know why, but this, the, being positive developed a reputation of toxicity. People like to call it, toxic positivity. And I know, I know that it's supposed to mean something else, but it's not used as that today. Toxic positivity really means being in denial of any issues, you know, and completely ignoring them and making believe everything is just wonderful and beautiful. 
but it, it, it has turned into um, judging positive people negatively because they're being positive instead of being a victim, right? So that's a huge issue. We have to get out of that. There was nothing toxic about positivity. It's actually the key to happiness and success, being able to focus on gratitude, on blessings, on positive things in life. So it doesn't mean that I, that I don't see the negative. I do. And there's a lot of people who I disagree with, with what they're doing on Instagram, with what they're doing in life, with what they're doing. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's beneficial. A lot of people appear to be doing, doing holy work or good work or important work, but it's all self-serving. It's really just a popularity contest and it's for validation and people play games and it's, it's, I disagree with so much of that. And I'm, I don't join most of these movements and dramas and games. I'm just not into that stuff. I really try to just, again, I, I like to call it post and ghost, but which is not, I don't really mean it like that. I just mean like, I, rock, I like to drop my message and not focus on the negative of what, of what else is going on. Not, you know, focus on all that just to give. I am on social media to give and not to get. I'm not there to get validation and attention and support. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love it. I love when people are impacted by something that I do and or say, of course, it, it makes my day if I could inspire someone. But if I was there to fill a need through their validation, I would never feel satisfied. I would never feel full. We always need more and more and more and more. So there is, there has to be that balance between, uh, you know, being able to uh, receive a compliment and really appreciating it, understanding it, and needing that to fill a void. Sure. Right. But we just went a little bit off topic because I was saying how, even though I disagree with what a lot of people do sometimes, it doesn't mean I don't love them because I really do try to focus on their positive and the things they're doing right. I just ignore the things that, that I feel that are unhealthy and how they're managing certain areas, whatever, you know? Um, and this is with everyone in life as well. This is the, with the people we live with, the people we work with, the relatives that we have. We can choose to focus on the things they're doing wrong. We can choose to focus on the things they're doing right. And the key to making connections with people and to really having loving relationships with people of all walks of life is to stop judging people negatively and to start judging people positively, to start loving them for who they are without expectations, without them needing to change for you, without being disappointed in them. You know, this often happens between parent and child, without rejecting people just because they're different than we are. We have to love and accept everyone unconditionally. Who are we? Like, what kind of arrogance is it for me to think that somebody, I reject someone because they're different than me? Why am I the ideal? You know, they are who they are. I am who I am. And we need to love and respect each other, even within our differences. So I would say that might be the key. This is something that I, you know, that I do work on. And when I say that I do this, I mean, I work on it. It's not, you know, we're, we're always a work in progress. For sure. It's not something that always comes naturally. I do sometimes have like a moment of like negativity where I have, and I have to stop and change it and say, no, 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 you didn't like that. Maybe that wasn't healthy. Maybe that was outright inconsiderate or wrong, but let's look at what they're doing right. For sure. 
So yeah, it's does that make totally, sense? totally. And it's funny because you kind of went off on a tangent, but I actually was going to ask you about that. Um, because I've noticed that you really don't use Instagram as a place to talk about your problems or your things that you're going through emotionally or whatever. Um, and a lot of people do. I am curious to know of, like, of, of what your opinion is about people sharing a lot and extremely personal things, mental health issues, stuff like that on Instagram. Okay, so first of all, thank you for acknowledging um, what I do and don't do on Instagram. I do appreciate that. I really do. Um, you know, it's it's a very sensitive topic, this whole topic, because on one hand, it's nice that people have a voice and a platform today. We didn't used to, and people did feel like they were suffering alone and struggling alone. And it's nice when you meet another person who's going through the same thing and you feel this connection and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And it's beautiful that we have these platforms today um, to be able to do that. So that's one thing, but I am going to say that like with everything in life, um, the more potential that it has for good, the greater potential it also has for evil or for negative, right? So, and we very often lose track of that balance. We very often allow ourselves to fall into an extreme and to get carried away with something instead of finding a healthy balance. It is much easier to go to extremes, either extreme. It's easier to be the person who overshares and has no boundaries or the person who closes up completely and is all boundaried rather than to be that person who figures out how to share without oversharing and to maintain that healthy, healthy balance, right? Mm -hmm. so, so again, sharing is important, but there are a few questions we need to ask ourselves before sharing because oversharing is dangerous. First of all, it's unhealthy for the person who's oversharing without them even realizing. The, airing your dirty laundry in public is just not healthy ever. You have to think about the long-term ramifications as well. First of all, you have a family. This is not just you. Some of these people do have children, have babies. What's going to happen when their babies become teenagers and see all these things that their mother spoke about publicly that... Again, it doesn't mean it's negative. It just means it's personal. We have personal boundaries for a reason. Not every their boundaries are the most important thing in relationships. In every relationship, there has to be boundaries, healthy boundaries. Not everything should be shared in public because otherwise, what's going to be special in your relationships? If you're sharing everything about yourself, about your struggles, about your difficulties, um, about your marriage, about what are you going to save for the people that are closest to you, that are most important to you? What's going to be special that you're going to share with them, right? So there have to be those boundaries. Not everything is for everyone. Also, you don't know who you're talking to. You have thousands of followers. You don't know who's out there. You can't just share everything with everyone. It's dangerous. It's unhealthy. So we have to have those things in mind and be super careful of what we're actually trying to accomplish by oversharing. When people overshare, it's very often because there's a need that needs to be filled. Yeah. Okay. I believe in vulnerability. I think it's important to be vulnerable in order to have a relationship with someone. But the problem is that today, again, we took it to an extreme and people I think have a misunderstanding of a healthy relationship with their vulnerability. People think that 
we have to be vulnerable just for the sake of being vulnerable. That being vulnerable is the end goal, right? Guys, I decided to be vulnerable today. Okay, but why? Why are you being vulnerable? Is it because you feel that that's the only way to get attention on social media? Do you feel, is there peer pressure? Do you feel that you, is it, you need the attention? Do you need the validation? Why are you being vulnerable? Vulnerability isn't the goal. It's a means to an end. We have to be vulnerable sometimes because we have to connect with people. That's the end goal. But are we connecting to give or to get? And this is what I like to use as the measuring stick, the barometer of how to share. Am I sharing to give or am I sharing to get? Am I sharing from my open wounds or am I sharing from my scars? Because open wounds can get infected. And open wounds might still have shards of glass in there that can cut people. Right? But scars are already in the process of healing and we have a lot that we can help people with if we share through our scars. So are we? am I sharing to give or am I sharing to get? What's my end goal over here? So when we want to share, these are the few things we need to ask ourselves. Why am I sharing? Okay, what's my end goal? Who am I sharing it with? What am I going to share? And how am I sharing it? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves to know that there's a healthy balance here. And if we can be very honest and stop ourselves and say, yeah, I want to share this because I kind of feel like I need validation. I'm feeling a little empty inside. We need to know it's not going to fill us up. It's not going to fill us up. And in the long run, yeah, you would say, oh, but a person shared this really uncomfortable piece of information about themselves. Look how vulnerable they were. And people, by the way, sometimes applaud. Oh, that was so vulnerable of you. Brava, mm -hmm. you know, and applaud, applaud, applause. Um, you're, you know, you're so brave. I don't know. Was that really brave? Was that brave? Or were they sharing from an unhealthy place? And we need to stop and think for a moment. You know, why are you feeling uncomfortable when you have a vulnerability hangover? Usually it's because you were vulnerable, maybe in the wrong time or place or in the wrong way. A person who is what I like to call, this is my term, selectively vulnerable, which is what I choose to be. When you're selectively vulnerable, you never have a vulnerability hangover because it was so carefully curated. I chose so carefully what I'm going to share, how I'm going to share it and with whom that I don't second guess myself. I feel good about it, right? So, so that's my understanding of how to use social media. And again, it's important to share. I like sharing parts of myself. I'm a little self-deprecating self -deprecating sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I share about how I'm distracted or I lack, you know, time management or whatever it is because those are things that can hurt me right. in the long run or hurt my family or... Those are things that are, are human about. Right. They're human. So we can share our humanity. Here's, here's another, another boundary. Okay? We have to share our humanity without sharing our dysfunction. We, we, don't, we, can't, we don't have to relate to people through being dysfunctional. We can relate to people through being human. <laughs> Does that make sense? Total. It makes total sense. And I feel like if you're a social media influencer coach, the social media world would look a lot different. <laughs> You know what? Maybe I would love to be able to have a positive influence on people in this sense. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes again, this is not with judgment, but sometimes I do read someone's post and I cringe and I'm like, why? Why are you sharing that with me? 
I didn't need to know that. And you're not going to appreciate this probably tomorrow, maybe next month. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's hard sometimes to get that balance. I understand. And I'm so thankful to God that he gave me the tools to, you know, to really be able to be confident enough and healthy enough to be able to, to know what the balance is, for sure. you know, and to have, to have a healthy sense of boundaries. Um, and I know that not everybody has them, but it could be dangerous. There are so many young, um, impressionable women out there turning to anyone in a, in a leadership position, which is a, a huge issue, by the way, because influencers think that they're experts just because they're an influencer, right? And we really don't know how to give the right advice always. And we really don't know what the best thing for people to do is. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a world where people put people on pedestals and look up to them and whatever they say has to be the truth, has to be what's right. And, and we need to understand that when you watch an influencer, Okay. Sometimes people really are authentic and genuine. And I really do try to be. Um, and a few people that I know are so super genuine and authentic, but I have encountered so many people and I've heard from others who told me they were so hurt and so burned by people who are so completely different on this from behind the screen and in real life and people who you would never believe I was traumatized for months after meeting a specific influencer who I was shocked, shocked at the person she really was. And ever since then, I've heard other people complain about her to me, right. that they were they were so hurt because they thought she was one way and she was really a completely different person. So you do have that. But the problem is that people don't realize that. And what we need to know, like the way we need to view it, view influencers is that um, it's like when you watch a TV show, um, they're actors and you can fall in love with the actor, but you need to remember that they're actors. Not everything that you see is exactly what it is in real life. And, you know, we shouldn't, we should be genuine and we should be authentic. But what I've come to notice is that there's a lot of inauthentic authenticity on Instagram. Inauthentic authenticity. People trying to be authentic. Yeah. Which which automatically removes the authenticity from Thank it. Thank you for saying that. Right? I always say that. Yes, it's so true. <laughs> I'm so happy you feel the same way. Yeah. It's the irony of trying to be authentic. Listen to those words. Right. right, exactly. If you have to try to be authentic, then you're not being authentic. Exactly. Absolutely. Right away it diminishes the authenticity. Yeah. So like like I remember once going to somebody's house and she and I love her dearly. I love her dearly. But I remember this as a, a learning lesson that she really internalized. Um, I went to her house, and again, I told you I'm very present. I'm not one of those people who walk around with my phone on for the person that I'm going to meet and be like, ah, you know, all of. But she is, she, you know, she's so cute, and she was so excited, you know, to see me. She had her phone on record, and she was as I came into her house, and she was like, guys, look who's here, you know. And I walked in and she was backing up as I was walking towards her. We ended up in her kitchen and she looked around and like, there were a couple of things on the counter. It wasn't a big mess, but it was used, you know, it lived in. And she was like, oh my gosh, my counter was such a mess. I didn't realize I was going to be getting it on camera. Should I apologize for the mess in my kitchen? She was saying that on video, by the way. And I looked at her and I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not being authentic. Being authentic means that sometimes your house will be clean in the background. Sometimes it's going to be messy in the background, but you don't talk about it. You don't say, 
look how clean my house is. You don't say, look how messy my house is because that already that already diminishes the authenticity. It just means this is me. Look around, you know, whatever. If it's messy, it's messy. If it's not, it's not. But it can't become a, a thing, you know? Um, right? You know what I'm totally. Saying? Or it's like, it's like pointing out like your pimple because you're self-conscious about it on Instagram. Yes. Be like, see, influence the pimple steward. I'm just like, we all see it. We know you're human. It's fine. You you don't have to you don't have to talk right. about it. Like there was a movement like, a few years ago, like hashtag this is me or something. Uh, look at me without makeup, guys. Look at me without makeup. Without we know how you look without makeup. We know that you don't wake up looking like that, how you normally look. We don't have to talk about being without makeup. Just sometimes be without makeup. Right. And sometimes be with makeup. That's what authenticity means. You don't have to t- turn it into a thing. You don't have to talk about it. Does that make sense, right? Totally. Like, obviously, I see your I'm so with you. You're literally like, yeah, but like you're saying things that I've been ta- like talking about with my friends, like that movement that you just brought up. Like I've gone on Instagram without makeup before. I don't hashtag it, no makeup. I use a filter and everyone can still see I'm not wearing makeup. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. And I think that we, that we have, you know, what, what Instagram has done to us is that we feel the need to have to talk about every little part of ourselves and every little everything. Um, and, and again, people also confuse authenticity with transparency. Mm. This is a huge issue. People think that being authentic means being transparent. And it means I have to say everything. And I have to talk about everything that's going on in my life because if I don't, I'm not being authentic. No. No, you don't have to be transparent about everything. It's not healthy. Nobody needs to know what goes on when you're in therapy. No one even needs to know how you look before and after therapy. We don't need those before and after selfies. We don't, okay? And we don't need to see a picture of you sitting in the, in the chair in the waiting room in your therapist's office. We don't, we don't need to see it, okay? So, you know, that's not how we break stigmas. We don't break stigmas by trying to be transparent because we think that's what it means to be authentic, right? So uh, so it's, it, that's not what transparency means. That's not what authenticity means. I'm sorry. Being transparent is inappropriate. It is crossing boundaries. Being authentic means I'm not sharing everything. I'm choosing what to share. But whatever I do share, I am sharing 100% authentically. It is a hundred percent me, but it doesn't mean I have to show you every single part of me, right? I show people what I wouldn't mind them seeing if they're in my home and the way I look, this is part of my own boundaries. The way I look on Instagram is the way I would look if I showed up in their home. Love it. Love it. Right? So I'm never going to be in my pajamas. And yes, sometimes I won't always wear makeup and sometimes I'll have a headscarf because I would do that anyway, normally, you know, but those are the boundaries that I feel are healthy. Yes. I, I love that. And I love all your boundaries and I, I, I really do agree with you. Like I'm not just saying this, like, I really agree with you. I hope you don't get in trouble for this episode because <laughs> I don't know who listens, but, but you know, what? I think it has to be said. Everything has to be said. And again, this is not, I love that you agree and, and this is not uh, um, directed at any one person right. in particular. Like there is no one person that I have in mind when I'm saying this. This is just something that is really important to understand. And I and I get that the pressure is so great out there. And I get that people want to be involved in something bigger. But 
we have to think before we just jump onto any bandwagon. We have to think before we get involved in just anything and post about just anything. How many times do people post something and then take it down the next day because they felt like they overshared? Why don't you think about that before you post it? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because sometimes people get even more attention for posting and then removing. Mm. And if people, right, if you're out for the attention and for the validation, then it becomes a humble brag. It becomes a new post. So I removed yesterday's post because I realized that I overshared and that wasn't appropriate or healthy. So this is me becoming healthier now. Bravo! You're so amazing. You're totally, totally. All the time. Yes, absolutely. Right? <laughs> it's a cycle. It's a cycle of unhealthiness. So I want to bring this awareness out there because we need to understand that there's so much unhealthiness. Look, I see the repercussions. I see how unhealthy people have become, even from all the body positivity movements. Let's not even get started with that. Even that is unhealthy for people. So much emphasis on body. Why is body so important? Whether it's positivity or not, it's body. It shouldn't be that important that we have to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Food all the time. Diet culture, non-diet culture. Why are we so busy talking about food? It's right. not that important. So these are things that are constantly going on. But why? Because so many people need to have a platform, need to talk, need to be relevant. So I am going to join a cause that I'm going to feel so relevant right now. But I'm just going to take that cause and blow it, you know, through the roof. And it's going to become a thing. And that thing is unhealthy as well, because any extreme is unhealthy. We need balance in everything in life. Totally. It's true. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that about the food, because you know, some people will purposely put the food on to show that they could eat whatever they want. And they'll say something like they'll put a piece of cheesecake on, let's say, right. And say like, see, I'm enjoying my life. I don't care about like, I, I love my body the way it is, even though I'm, in a larger body, they'll say this sort of thing or whatever, um, versus just posting a picture of them enjoying food. Why not just we use a GIF or how is it GIF or GIF? What is it? Jeff, Jeff. Yeah, like using a GIF. I love that I'm teaching the millennial. <laughs> like using a GIF, yeah. GIF, like, you know, loving, I don't know, like enjoying life or something, instead writing a whole thing about a serious thing about how they could eat whatever they want. Like we see you can eat whatever you want. Just it's like show, don't tell, you know? Thousand percent. Those are literally the words I, I always use. I love that you said that. Show, don't tell. You know, don't tell us. Don't tell us how funny you are. Don't tell us that you were MIA yesterday. Don't tell us how smart you are. Don't tell us how well you eat or how healthy you are. Let us figure it out for ourselves. Right. Let us figure it out. Right. Um, um, it, it, that, that's really a healthy boundary. It's, it, it, it sounds very desperate when someone has to get up on the stories and say, well, since I'm so funny, I, you know, or whatever, you know, in, the, in whatever words they use, you know, we can't, we have to be classier than that to stay, to, to keep that healthy balance. So I completely agree with you. Show, don't tell. Um, you can do something. Yeah. Show, do, you know, write a post about, you know, what you did, what you didn't do without turning it into something um, explicit like that. You know? Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, but I, I totally agree with you. I think people really have to think about why they're doing something and be fully 
present, like you said, you know, and, and really, and really think about it because when, when you're conscious of, of, and you have clarity of, of, of your decisions and, and why you're doing things, it really could change your, your actions. Thousand percent. Um, okay. Yes. So here, this is the question that I ask everyone um, to end off. So what is something that you hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with? Something that I hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with. Whoa, that's a good question because I, how do I narrow that down? So many things running through my head right now. Um, so I'll tell you why it's a little bit of a, of, a, of a difficult question to answer because I am my own version of a feminist, <laughs> meaning <laughs> it gets so risky when you talk about these things, meaning I love women. I believe in women. I love to empower women. I mean, my main audience is women, you know? I, and I love to empower women and, and the, I feel like there's so much women can do, but I don't like the fact that sometimes women compare themselves to men in order to be those women, you know, um, to me, it's not about that. It's not about men versus women. To me, it's just look who you are and the gifts you were given. I believe men and women were created differently on purpose. We're not supposed to be equal. We're supposed to be different. We have different tracks in life. We might be heading towards the same goal, but we have a different track, a different way of getting there. Why are we created differently otherwise? You know, women, we were even physically, we were created differently physically, emotionally, intellectually, mentally, in so many different areas. Um, we look different. We feel things differently. And it's like, it's like that on purpose because we have a different role in this world. And I think that if women can recognize their own strength and power just for who they are, their own self-worth just for who they are, you know, it would be, it would be a whole different world. We don't have to be, you know, to be honest with you, I hope no men are listening to this, but to be honest with you, I don't know why women compare themselves to men. We're so much better. You know, if we compare yourself to a man, I feel like you're lowering yourself. I, I think women are so powerful. There's so much we can be and so much we can do. So I think we need to tap into who we are. And I think that what I would like to maybe leave, you know, you know, to answer that question on what women can do for the next generation, I think women have to stop taking themselves so seriously. I think we need to recognize who we are from within and not, and not have to prove who we are from without. Recognize our value, recognize our worth, recognize our power, recognize our strength, recognize our talents, and get fueled from within. We don't have to take ourselves so seriously. We don't have to get offended by everything. We don't have to get, be so sensitive to what other people say. You know, a lot of these things that we were talking about, weight and, um, you know, diet culture and your opinion and that opinion and everyone gets so sensitive that, you know, what I believe is the truth and there's no other truth. Relax, relax. Okay. You're wonderful for who you are. We don't have to take everything so seriously. We don't have to get offended by everything. Life is serious. I don't have to be that serious. 
Does that make sense? Totally. I think we need to let go a little bit, let go of our sensitivities, you know, let go of the things that trigger us. Don't be a victim. Don't be triggered by everything. Don't think everyone's out to get you. Don't think people think you're inferior. Don't think people think you have less value. You don't. It's not a man's world. It's a women's world because each of us are our own worlds. Yes. It's a man's world if you're comparing yourself to other people. And if you're comparing yourself to men, especially, stop. They have one track. We have another track. Right. And we each have, we each are our own worlds. And the amount that we could accomplish if we focus on that is mind blowing. I'll end with one example. I'll never forget. This made such an impact on me when I was watching the Summer Olympics a few years ago. OK, I was watching the swimming Olympics and Michael Phelps, who was the champion, he was swimming and the guy next to him was swimming alongside of him. And I couldn't help but notice that Phelps was so focused on where he was going. He just, every day he picked his head up, he looked straight ahead, he stayed in his lane, he knew exactly where he was going. And you know what? He was champion. The guy next to him, every time he lifted his head out of the water, he kept looking at Phelps. Interesting. To see where he was. Mm. Where's my competition? You want to be successful in life? Stay in your lane. You want to feel inadequate? You want to fail? You want to be insecure? Focus on the competition. Focus on the other person. But if you just focus on you building yourself up, on giving of yourself to the world, on recognizing your strengths, your talents, who you are, loving yourself, and sharing yourself with the world, you will always be a winner. Wow. That's so powerful. It's so true. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> You're so welcome. I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but thank you so much for joining me tonight. This was so nice. You're super welcome. Yeah, it was really a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy we did this. Of course. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 